Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. Episode 3, The One with the Christian. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. Last week, we explored the question of whether religions are inherently good or bad. Remember the word inherently means by nature. This week, I have interviewed Tony Smith, a Christian from Brighton and someone who happens to be my dad. And I asked him to join us to give us an insight into the Christian faith and his experiences and beliefs as a Christian. And I interviewed him from his home. I'm here with Tony Smith, a Christian from Brighton and someone who happens to be my dad. I've asked him to join us to give us an insight into the Christian faith and his experience and beliefs as a Christian. Welcome, Dad. Well, thank you, Miss. Or should I say my lovely daughter? (laughs) Either one is fine. First of all, um, you refer to yourself as a born-again Christian. Can you explain a little bit about what that actually means? Well, the Bible tells us that uh, Father God has created us in his image. So we have three parts. We have a body, we have a mind, and we have a spirit, unlike animals who don't have spirits. So we're not some kind of superior animal. We're born naturally into the physical world after a time in the womb need to be born into the spiritual world so um, so in a sense you could say we're actually in a spiritual womb until we ask Jesus into our lives to forgive us and lead us through life and that's really how you get born again. So obviously you became born again Mm. so you didn't used to believe this and now you do and it's quite an interesting and quite dramatic story would you mind just telling us a little bit about that story? Yeah I will certainly well I was brought up in a, a sort of religious home rather than a Christian one And I suppose in my early teens, I rejected Christianity because people claimed to be living by God's laws, but obviously were not. And my first encounter with a born-again Christian was with my half-sister, Pat. And I made fun of her for years, but she had a peace and a joy in her life that I certainly didn't have myself. And in my early 30s, we began to make friends with other Christians and were surprised that um, some of them were very intelligent people. They were um, professors and doctors. And uh, I used to go to a lot of um, social events that the church ran. And after a boring church talk one evening at a social, I went home and thought I could have done a better job explaining the Christian faith. And then suddenly I sort of realised that although I had an intellectual understanding of Christianity, it had not impacted my life in any way. And um, I simply asked Jesus to come into my life and make me into the person he wanted me to be. And I do recall feeling some power coming into me, which I learned later was the Holy Spirit. And I was instantly changed and immediately gave up some of the bad things in my life and was immediately telling people the good news that Jesus is alive. And that was uh, November the 28th, 1983, about two o'clock in the morning. And I'm still telling people the good news now. Amazing. Now, you said that before you had an intellectual understanding of Christianity, but it hadn't really impacted your life. Can you just talk about a little bit about how that's changed and how Christianity now impacts your life? Well, to me, it's, it's, it was absolutely transforming because when you become a Christian, you really discover who you are, your true identity. True identity is that we discover that we're children of God and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. A lot of people say that Christianity is a crutch, but my experience is that 
through my Christian faith, it's taken away the crutches that I would thought would get me through life to be successful and so on. And something that, you know, a lot of people listening may be sceptical about is this power that you felt when you were converted. Can you explain what that felt like, where you think it came from? Well, all I can say is something flooded through my body three times from my feet right the way through. It's like a, a warmth. So it was an experience. Not everybody has those kinds of experiences. And, you know, we talk about supernatural things. So to me, it's something that's happened supernaturally, which, as I said, was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, God's active force in the universe. You can't sort of see it or touch it, but it's very much real. So that's what I experienced, the Holy Spirit coming into my life. Thank you. What do you think is the hardest thing about being a Christian? Well, a lot of people think that um, being a Christian is about following a lot of rules, but Christianity is not about rules at all. It's about having a relationship with Father God. But I suppose the most difficult thing for me and probably for a lot of Christians is obedience, and that is being obedient to God's plans and purposes for your life, which may differ from your own thoughts and ideas of how you want to live your life. And that's probably the most difficult thing, obedience. Mm. Now, Christianity has got some quite controversial ideas in it, or certainly ideas that other people might find quite controversial. Can I just ask you about one in particular, which is that at the centre of it, there is the celebration of the torture and subsequent murder of an innocent man. How do you reconcile that? Well, I'm sure we all believe in justice. So if we break laws, we demand justice, whether that's breaking the speed limit or bombing a theatre. And as well as natural laws, there are spiritual laws as well. And Father God won't overlook our wrongdoings. And the things that we do wrong are the things that exclude us from heaven. And God cannot allow any sin into heaven, otherwise it would no longer be that perfect place that it is. And that excludes all people, because all of us have broken God's laws. But the Bible says that heaven will be populated by people from every race, nation and tongue, people who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that Jesus voluntarily died on the cross and accepted the punishment that was due to us. He accepted that punishment so that we weren't to be punished. And he rose from the dead to prove that there was actually life after death. So we don't celebrate the barbaric way that he died, which was horrendous. But we celebrate the fact that we can know that our sins are forgiven and that we can spend eternity with him. Uh, for me, it's the greatest expression of God's love for humanity. Thank you. And there's two things from what you've said that I just want to pick up on. First of all, is this idea that what happened to Jesus is quite central to Christianity mm. and it's through him that you get to go to heaven. I'd like to talk a little bit about life after death later in the interview. But first of all, this idea that it's only Christians that are going to go to heaven. So I know that in the Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And you've just sort of suggested that in your answer. How do you feel about other religions in the light of what Jesus said in that verse? Right. Well, one thing I do know is that people are, are always opposing Jesus because they don't like his teaching. And I can say that today there are well over 30 nations that aggressively persecute Jesus. And I do recognise that there's moral truth in all religions and they all have some view of Jesus. And this statement about being the way, the truth and the life, it's a huge declaration by Jesus, isn't it? But what he's actually saying is that by following his way, his truth, he guarantees an eternal relationship with God the Father, which other religions don't. 
and to prove that he spoke the truth, he defeated death when he rose from the grave. And it's his resurrection that exalts him above all other religions. What about someone who lives according to the teachings of Jesus, so embodies the kind of person that Jesus was, so is a very good person and is forgiving and mm. kind and selfless, mm. but doesn't actually follow Christianity, doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, is the Christian teaching that those people will go to hell? I think a lot of people live good and wholesome and uh, right lives. You know, I meet lots of people like that, you know, and you applaud that. But at the end of the day, we've all broken God's laws and are subject to God's justice. And it's not, in a sense, the good way that we live that gets us into heaven. It's actually the wrong things that we do that exclude us from heaven. And I have to believe that uh, as creator God, that he has the right to judge us. And I believe that he will judge us impartially and uh, justly. So if you've never heard of Christianity, God will judge you fairly and justly. So if you've never heard and never had a chance Mm. to respond, then there's a very good possibility you'll get to heaven. I do believe that God does judge us justly and fairly. And I think a lot of it is according to God's knowledge. I think if you've heard the gospel and rejected it, then that puts you in a difficult situation. But if you've never heard, I believe God will judge people on the basis of their knowledge. And I do suspect there'll be a few surprises in heaven. Well, let's hope so. I mean, and actually this kind of relates to a previous podcast where we looked at whether humans are inherently good or bad. Mm. I would imagine you believe, as the Bible says, that humans are fundamentally sinful. Would you agree? I think as a Christian, I think we are called to look for and applaud any good things that we see in people. But the reality of life tells us that uh, people are flawed and they will let us down and do bad things. And I believe we all have a capacity to choose to do good or bad. I mean, for a prime example, Hitler did amazing things for the economy of of, um, Germany before the Second World War. And yet he was responsible for the deaths of millions of people. So I think we are both good or bad, but essentially all of us get things wrong. I would agree with that. Now, something else that you've mentioned a few times that I said I wanted to come back to was this idea of an afterlife. I mean, the whole of Christianity is reliant on the fact that there is an afterlife. Otherwise, none of it makes any sense. What makes you so certain that there is an afterlife? And what do you think it's going to be like? I think the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead tells us that there is life beyond the grave. And the Bible teaches us that when Jesus returns to earth... In the near future, as some people believe, he will establish God's kingdom here on earth. So you could say paradise restored. So heaven itself must be a physical place as well, because when you read the Bible, you discover that it's inhabited by all kinds of living creatures and angels. And when we think about hell, hell actually essentially means a permanent separation from God. And we know that the devil and his agents, including falling angels, would experience the full wrath of God in hell for eternity. And you think that humans would also experience hell for all eternity? I think that is a possibility if they're sort of following Satan, I suppose, in in many ways. I've got my own little theory of this, which I could sort of share with you. I haven't checked the theology of this. But when we think about people coming into God's kingdom, it speaks about rewards. So some people will get great rewards in heaven and some people will get lesser rewards. 
And I was wondering the other day whether that's true about the separation from God. There will be those that was, I think, someone like Satan that needs all the wrath of God experiencing that. And I just wonder if there are degrees of separation in God's heavenly kingdom. I'll have to check my theology of that, but it's an interesting thought worth pursuing. But potentially there's levels of hell. So yeah, some le- people will be tortured more than others. Yeah. But do you believe that hell is a, an eternal place where people will be sent for eternity? Well, if you look at the words for eternal heaven and eternal hell, the Greek words that is used are used for both. So there is that sense of eternity, because it's relating to our spirits as well. So, yeah, it is eternal. And I think, you know, understandably, a lot of people have a real problem with a God of love sending people to hell. And I think actually one of the reasons why some people do not believe in God is because of this idea of suffering and evil. How do you understand how God, who is loving and all-powerful, can one, send people to hell and two, allow so much suffering to people in the world? Mm. Well, I think love without discipline, as any parent would tell you, is really a false love, isn't it? If you love your child, you'll discipline them to try and get them to live right lives. And when we sort of consider how as a separation from God and realize that's, that's our true spiritual state, we begin to recognize that God working through Jesus is his rescue plan to bring us back to him. So his desire for all mankind is to rescue us from eternal separation. And for me, that's an example of a loving God. So the fact that he provided a way out of it shows his love. And then ultimately, it's our choice what we do, but there has to be consequences to our actions. So linking to that, just the general idea of problem of evil, why do you think Christians can believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God? How would they reconcile that with, with the existence of suffering? Well, we're told that before God created the earth, he actually created the heavenlies, which was inhabited by angels. And one called Lucifer rebelled against God and is the evil force behind much of what we see in the world today. And you get the impression that God didn't want to be alone in the universe and created companions with free will. So Lucifer used that free will to rebel against God has led mankind astray ever since and has infected the world uh, with his evil. Simply your answer is that the evil in the world is caused by Satan. Yes. Does that make Satan more powerful than God, that he can have that much influence? He's not more powerful than God. But interestingly, the Bible describes Satan as the God of the world. So uh, in a sense, this is his kingdom from which God is seeking to rescue us. And if God is all powerful, could he not have stopped that from happening? Well, I believe he has done that uh, through the cross. And ultimately, um, he will eradicate the devil and all evil. And that's when we'll have paradise and the heaven as God originally intended it. I mean, I don't suppose you know the mind of God, but can you give any reason why he's waiting so long? He wants as many people into his kingdom to enjoy his love for eternity. So one of the probably a controversial issue that we've discussed at length in the past is the issue of homosexuality. Could you please just give us a little insight into your personal beliefs about homosexual relationships, about gay marriage, about gay Christians? Yes, that's a huge, huge issue, isn't it? But I suppose at the end of the day, what I believe is immaterial. It's what God teaches us in the Bible regard to sexual relations. And to me, it's very clear. One man with one woman to the exclusion of all others for life. Now, whether you agree or disagree with that or aggressively oppose it, as some people do, it does not alter that advice that God gives us. 
And, you know, if you were to follow the maker's instructions, you wouldn't need abortion clinics. You wouldn't need special clinics dealing with the current epidemic of STIs. You wouldn't have a sex industry exploiting many vulnerable people, including young children. And children would grow up and be nurtured in a God-adorned family. I mean, I think a lot of people listening might think that there's a massive difference between a loving, committed homosexual relationship and a promiscuous or abusive sexual relationship. So there's a big difference between some of the issues you were mentioning with STIs or the sex industry, which Mm. exploits Mm. people. There's a massive difference between that and a loving, committed homosexual relationship. So would Christianity be against loving, committed homosexual relationships and one man and one man committed to each other for life as Mm. in a basis of love? I think the answer to that, I don't have a problem with, say, love between, you know, two men and two women. I think where the problem comes is when they engage in sexual relationships. And the Bible is very clear. In actual fact, it says that relationship between one man and another man is an abomination in God's eyes because that's not how he designed us. So I think love is fine, but it's that sexual act which is offensive to God. And I think that's going to be quite controversial to many people listening, particularly if people are identifying as gay and lesbian, that actually if God is creator, that they know that that's how they were born and they know that's how they were made. How would you reconcile the fact that if God created everybody, that some people don't choose to be gay, it's how they are born? Well, I think that's a controversial issue. Not everybody agrees that people are born as homosexuals. And I think we have to remember that there is an opposing force. There are two kingdoms There's the kingdom of God and also the kingdom of Satan. And the work of Satan or the devil is to undermine all the teaching of the Bible. So he always reverses God's natural order. So right at the very beginning of the Bible, you know, he questions God's authority, questions God's law, questions God's word. And he's been doing that ever since. And I think a lot of people get deceived, unfortunately. So I mentioned that God is creator and that sort of leads quite nicely onto another area I'd like to understand your thoughts about. A lot of people think that science and religion are in conflict and that the theory of evolution or the theory of the Big Bang undermines the Christian view of creation. How do you understand that? Well, I don't think uh, science can prove faith. It can give you the properties of, say, an oil painting, but can't explain why somebody thinks it's beautiful. And God's existence is seen in creation. You know, the beauty, the order, uh, all the wonderful things that we see. I'm even... Atheist scientists are now using the term intelligent design. I would actually look at the Bible, which must have been written by an extraterrestrial, someone outside time, as it is a history of the world from the beginning to the end. And there are thousands of prophecies revealing things to happen in the future, none of which have failed. I mean, there were over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, who we call Jesus, all of which have been fulfilled, other than those uh, concerning the return of Jesus to establish God's kingdom. So I would certainly examine the life of Jesus, who said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and ask, what does that reveal about God? And, you know, I'd encourage people to talk to people that have got a genuine faith in Jesus, rather than perhaps just uh, churchgoers. Do you think it's possible that God used the Big Bang to create the world, that when God said, let there be light, that was what scientists now understand as the Big Bang. I'm not a scientific person, but uh, what I understand is that explosions create chaos. They don't actually create sort of order. So I don't think Big Bang is a logical exclamation of the creation of the world. How God done it, I've got no idea. Uh, But it says that he is responsible, but certainly not a Big Bang. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of Christian scientists would say the Big Bang it just didn't happen. And I think one of the things about denying God as the creator is that it enables us to ignore his moral compass for life. And we see the consequences of that right the way throughout the world. Okay, I want to slightly start to wrap up now. But um, one thing I did want to ask you about, because I think this is quite exciting, is that you've actually, I don't want to reveal your age, but a lovely age, you've just released your first novel. And I wanted to know if you'd just like to take a few moments just to kind of talk a little bit about that. Well, yes. Yeah, it's quite exciting being an author. It really was about six years ago that I woke one morning with a complete outline of a movie. And a friend of mine encouraged me to write a novel. He said, you can't write a film score. And so over the last sort of six years, I began putting it together. And it's really the lockdown that has enabled me to complete it. So it's now available as an ebook to download from Amazon. And I'm actually donating 20% of the cover price to help the relief of the poor in this economy as it falters. So the book is called Pursuing Profits by Anthony W. Smith. I think that's, that's really wonderful to hear yet another story of how the lockdown has brought positivity. And actually that sense of kindness, that this is not about profits and this is not about making. It's about profits, mm. but not about profits. Mm. That actually it's going to enable people to get financial help. So I'm very proud of you as your daughter that you've done that. Yeah, thank you. If there's one idea that you would like to leave our listeners with, what would that be? Right. Well, I'd encourage people to think very carefully about their spiritual condition. We look after our bodies, we look after our minds. So I'd encourage perhaps the listeners to spend some time reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and simply to ask Father God to help them discover the real Jesus and the difference that he can make to their lives. And if they have an opportunity to join a youth alpha course, I would recommend that. That's an informal way to learn more about the uh, Christian faith without any pressure. Well, thank you so much. We'll put links to your novel and we'll put links to the youth alpha course in the show notes below so people can find out a little bit more about that. Thank you so much, Dad, a.k.a. Tony Smith, a.k.a. Anthony W. Smith. (laughs) So many names. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your Christian faith with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. So what did you think about this interview and about the views of Tony Smith? I would really value your thoughts, opinions, feedback and questions. So please leave them in the show notes below. Next week, I am going to be looking at whether there is anything which is absolutely evil. I am Louisa Jane Smith. This has been the RE Podcast, a podcast for people who think RE is boring, which it is. I just proved it. But thank you so much for listening to me bore the life out of you.